Hello and welcome to the EDH RecCast. My name is Joey Schultz and I'm joined as always by my fantastic co-hosts. First up, he has Planeswalk, even though that's an ability keyword that was discontinued. It's Matt Morgan. Joey, I, I heard that the police arrested the world champion tongue twister sayer, uh, uh, orator, I guess is what you would call them. And uh, word on the street is they're going to give him a pretty tough sentence. I, it seems like a, that was a bit of a tongue twister for you too there. It was. Matt. Well, everything's a tongue twister for me. Like, let's, let's just be honest with ourselves. One sympathizes. Anyway, up next, he doesn't have a planes walker. He just has a regular walker. It's Dana Ridge. <laughs> um, Matt goes to the gym a few times a week and he actually had a listener approach him the other day and say he recognized him and was a fan. Um, I don't go to the gym a couple times a week, but I've been to the dentist three times this month. So I'm hoping <laughs> somebody there approaches me and says they recognize me as well. So uh, fingers crossed. I, I, I did have Joel Jim Memberson <laughs> Smith uh, come up and say that I am the new hair of the podcast. I had a mask on. So did Joel. And, and they were like, oh, no, I recognize the hair. It just It just stands out. So, Joey, you've been replaced as the hair of the podcast. We're well, going to have to have a game to figure out who deserves that title most. That's um, that's fine. That's a me. big crown you're trying to take away from me, Matt. How very dare. You, anyway, you, might, you is... might say it's going to be a cough-off, a coif-off, quaff. However, co however you say that word. It's a tongue it's another, twister. It's another tongue twister. Another anyway, tongue twister. This, this is the EDH Rec cast. EDH Rec is the best deck building resource on the web for the commander format, compiling data from deck lists all over the internet to provide helpful recommendations for new commander decks. And here on the podcast, what we'd like to do is give all that data a little more context. Dana, I'm going to pass this one off to you because apparently Matt and I are having a hair spat now. What are we talking about in this week's episode? We're talking about planeswalkers, just planeswalkers. Get in a bit of a deep dive on Planeswalkers, the ins and outs of playing them. This is something that I know that you have a lot of experience with playing a Super Friends deck, but also sometimes when you see a Planeswalker across the battlefield, there are things that maybe you need to be aware of, or when you're thinking about building them, even just running one or two of in a deck. Planeswalkers can be a little bit complicated in EDH compared to one-on-one -on -one format, so let's get into it. Of course, before we get to our main topic, we want to briefly pause and thank the folks at the Command Zone. They handle all of the post-production on our podcast, making it as awesome as it is, so thank you all so much. And of course, we want to thank our sponsor sponsors for the show too. Yeah, the EDH Recast is sponsored by Card Kingdom and TCG Player. Any Mystic Archive you want, Card Kingdom will have it in their inventory and they will ship it out to you as soon as possible. I just ordered an etched foil harmonized that is on its way to me as we speak. Uh, TCG Player also has anything you might want from their deep inventory. Cards from Alpha all the way to Zendikar. Just go to EDH Rec and click on the card in question. Choose the vendor link down below, and doing that supports both the site and the show. And if you would prefer to support the show directly, you can do so over at patreon.com slash EDHRecCast. We have patron tiers of all sorts of levels, whether you want to look at our historical challenge of stats spreadsheet that we do keep handy, keeping up with everything that we've challenged in the past, or you just want to check out all the podcast episodes a day early. We have all sorts of tiers for whatever you're looking to do. And we even have a very, very special tier where we thank a patron every single week just for being a patron, just for their patronage and supporting the show. So this week we do want to give a very special shout out to Christopher Henley. Christopher, thank you so much for your support. We definitely appreciate it. 
Christopher, we really, really appreciate that. And also, let's also shout out the fact that we've got our stream going on. If you want to catch some EDH gameplay, twitch.tv slash EDHRecast is the place to go. We have awesome guests every week. It's just so much fun. We've been able to play games with folks like Ashlyn Rose, folks like Lady Danger, and coming up on our following week on Wednesday, 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Next week, we'll be having on FemMTG, an awesome streamer as well. It's just a whole bunch of fun, so come hang out. Twitch.tv slash EDHRecast. That's every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Pacific. All right, fellas, let's get into our main topic here. We're talking about planeswalkers, which I feel like they have a bit of a weird reputation in EDH, as it were, because you've got a lot more opponents that can potentially attack them. So it seems like they're a lot more vulnerable and therefore don't get quite as much love. Um, Matt, is this something that you sort of feel echoes in your particular deck building and gameplay experience? It seems to me that you don't run a whole lot of planeswalkers. I don't, but I also have a fairly high bar at this point for cards that I want to play planeswalkers for me and my experiences have slowed the game down a little bit and i just i don't prefer that type of gameplay uh for people that do that's great i know they're extremely powerful but i tend to be a little picky when it comes to planeswalkers and going in my decks i have some decks that are running several i have some decks that aren't running any so i'm kind of all over the board when it comes to planeswalkers in my personal decks Gotcha. I feel like I'm kind of the same way, but I actually did a, a little bit of a, a cheating. I went through our deck lists to try and find them. I'm not sure which deck you're referring to that plays several Planeswalkers. I think I could only find one Planeswalker in one of your decks, and that was like Teferi Master of Time in your Riel the Everwise Wheeling deck, because you can draw and discard and you'll get a lot of activations that way. But I don't feel like I was able to find a whole lot of Planeswalkers among the decks that you play, or among mine either. Well, I, I guess... I used to have the uh, Laboratory Maniac version of Jace. I know I had that mm. in a deck, but um, I update my decks only ever so often. So that probably <laughs> did get cut and I just didn't remember it. Well, yeah, that's just it. Like for, for myself, the most that I could find in a deck was like in my Thelese deck, for example. I'm running two different Planeswalkers that create tokens. But Dana, Dana's kind of outdoing us. Dana, I feel like Planeswalkers is going to be a lot more in your wheelhouse because you've got like seven different decks where you're running at least one Planeswalker. And that is not including your Jeru Mono White Super Friends deck where you've got a whole bunch of them. Yeah, but even then, like we're I have Planeswalkers in decks, but we're talking one or two, maybe three tops. And they also tend to be ones that are thematically tied to what the deck is doing. So like, I have a Calyx in my Sagarda Enchantress deck because Calyx cares about enchantments. Um, you know, it's maybe not the best card in that deck, but like I liked that I had a Planeswalker that could do enchantment stuff finally, so I wanted it in that deck. I have a few Tezzerits in my Artifact deck because he does Artifact mm. stuff that, that matters in that particular deck. So... The ones I run tend to always be ones that do something very specific to that deck. And I would guess maybe that's part of the reason you, you don't see people running 10 Planeswalkers outside of Super Friends decks is because, generally speaking, they tend to kind of do universally useful things. Their plus one will draw you a card and, you know, their minus one will make a token or something. Um, those things don't always necessarily tie into a strategy. They're just useful cards. And I think these days um, you see a lot of people leaning a little bit more heavily into building something thematic or building a big machine. And I don't know if they have room for those things that are kind of just generically useful. That That's my, I don't. 
like I don't have you, you room for uh, a card that just untaps two things or something because I want my deck to do its thing. Yeah, that is one of the bigger things is that Planeswalker have they can have a lot of generally useful abilities, but we're in those days, like you said, where you need some niche stuff that is really synergizing very specifically with what your particular deck is up to. And sometimes all of those little betters aren't able to add up to the one amazing thing that you could be playing in that card slot instead. The specificity that comes out in some of the decks that you play, like a thing that strikes me is that you run the Wanderer in your Athreos deck. And your Athreos deck uh, is a Pestilence deck. So you're dealing damage to a whole bunch of stuff. And the Wanderer is there not even to activate any abilities, but just to be a prevention of damage damage effect for your own stuff when you're pinging the entire table with your pestilence effects so that is the type of specificity that we're talking about mm-hmm. here yeah and i think joey like you run a couple of them in decks but it's the same thing for you i think we both have nissa vital force in our our two decks that care about lands because sure it, it's, it's got a really easy to reach ultimate it's only you know two turns away um, right that's super good in a land deck so, like there's another example that's that's i think we're both using because it is really heavily tied to what the deck is doing. Well, and Nissa Vital Force was in my Angry Omnath deck, uh, which was a landfall center deck as well. Mm. I did cut it though, because it, like you said, Dana, like there are so many different options out there that you could be doing something specific. And I just ended up finding that five mana for the effect. And, and I almost never got to ultimate Nissa because, well, either they have a massive target on the back or I won before I got to ultimate her anyways. <laughs> So like that's one thing that I've noticed about you know planeswalkers especially is you can have a very very powerful ultimate but how often are you actually getting to do that and we always joke like you never evaluate a planeswalker by their ultimate well like I don't think I've ever gotten an ultimate any of my planeswalkers I, I I gotta love that you dropped the humble bag in there it's just like oh you know I just never <laughs> I, I just won I just killed Joey and Dana maybe if and you guys else. put up more of a fight now and then I wouldn't <laughs> have to win so fast. <laughs> That's really funny. But no, I actually really feel you on that. Um, And I kind of think that the data also bears out what we've been saying here. It's a pretty common trope among EDH players that you really shouldn't evaluate a Planeswalker based on their ultimate because they're so susceptible to attacks that it's very unlikely that any of them ever will be able to get there without some serious meddling in terms of the plus one counters there. Real quick, we ordered a small list of the most popular Planeswalkers by percent and also by just raw number. And we can go through a couple of those really quick right now. We won't name every single one of them. If you're watching on the YouTube, the full list will certainly be on screen. So definitely check that out. But it is kind of interesting to see the most popular planeswalkers because they definitely bear out this don't wait for the ultimate situation. For example, one of the most popular planeswalkers by percentage of inclusions is Ashiok Dream Render, which is a graveyard exile effect that also prevents your opponents from searching their libraries. Backbreaking. Number two is Narset Parter of Veils, which prevents your opponents from being able to draw extra cards. On here, we also have stuff like Teferi Time Raveler, which stops your opponents from being able to interact because they can't cast stuff at instant speed. Those aren't planeswalkers that have ultimates, but they're showing up all over the place, specifically for their almost enchantment-style utility. Well, especially their enchantment-style utility in the case of of the top four on this list, which is Ashiok, Narset, um, Sahili, Sublime Artificer, and Jace, Wielder of Mysteries, all of which are from that War of the Sparks set, where the planeswalkers (laughs) all had a passive ability very similar to an enchantment. So Mm -hmm. these are walkers that come down, have an ability that you can use to get an, get an effect, but they also are just there doing a thing for you. There's a lot of value to be found in those. And in the case of Ashiok, Narset, and I believe Sahili as well, those were all uncommon. So they were relatively yeah. cheap cards for as far as Planeswalkers go. Yeah, if you would have told somebody a few years ago, right before War of the Spark came out, that static abilities on Planeswalkers would have been a thing, 
nobody would have believed you but then all of a sudden <laughs> it happened and it turns out like these things are just super super powerful like ashiak dream render having built-in grave hate and then shutting down mm. tutors that is yeah. immensely powerful like i don't know a deck that just couldn't generically just benefit from that mm -hmm. because it's sh shutting down all of your opponents same with narset part of veils it just being able to keep the board state you know or at least letting your opponents pull too far ahead that is insanely powerful and i it, it's no wonder that these two are sitting at the top of the list yeah and even then going through some of the others again we're not going to go through all of them check out the youtube list will be on screen again here but like they are not necessarily being utilized for an ultimate situation the only one that i think that possibly could be said for that is tamio field researcher who shows up at number eight again we're ranking by percentage inclusions here and that's because her ultimate is gettable when you're doing stuff like atraxa and her ultimate is pretty backbreaking to get like free omniscient stuff going on that is one that you definitely would really enjoy if you can ultimate it and atraxa as a super friends deck is really actually possible to get there but other stuff on this list Raul storm conduit appears at number seven he's just a magecraft i'm gonna go infinite with my copy stuff and i'll kill everyone with my ping ability oko thief of crowns is on here because it's oko so of course he's there but that's not a thing that you want to use the ultimate of he's just trying to stopgap your opponents by elking their stuff forever so the stuff that we're seeing here definitely supports that theory of don't judge by the ultimate. It's pretty rare that Planeswalkers ever seem to be judged that way by EDH players. So yeah, I mean, we're talking about Planeswalkers with kind of general useful abilities. If I wasn't specifically sticking to Planeswalkers that match my deck's theme, any deck that could run Ashiok would probably be better off having Ashiok mm -hmm. in the list. The same is probably true of Narset. Like any deck that could run Narset legally on a power level is probably better off that Narset in the deck. Like those are super powerful cards in almost any situation. So, um, you know, clearly like we've talked about how I want to stick to my theme, but people just aren't with those cards. And I, I completely understand why they're just full stop fantastic. Yeah, well, and especially when you consider Sahili Sublime Artificer and Ralph Storm Conduit, like they're already played in a pretty significant percentage of decks. I think with Magecraft coming out in Strixhaven, you're going to see those two specifically shoot up yeah. quite a bit because they have a pseudo Magecraft ability built into them already by being able to, you know, with Ralph, you can ping opponents whenever you cast a spell. Um, and then Sahili, you're making tokens with every cast. So those two already have a, a kind of a Strixhaven type of mechanic that they printed years ago. And it helps, like like we already pointed out with many of these, they were uncommons and rares. They're, they're all like 50 cents to maybe a couple dollars at best. So a lot of these are just fairly cheap cards that you can slot into car into decks that already are going to be doing a lot of these same things. Well, so th that was just a list of them by percentage inclusion. And you may have noticed a couple of the Planeswalkers we named there were multicolored, but a card being multicolored means that it can technically slot into fewer total overall decks than a monocolored or even a colorless Planeswalker. So these aren't the Planeswalkers that actually show up in the greatest number of decks overall. So let's get to that top 10 list. Again, that's going to be on the screen if you're watching on the YouTube here. There are some of the same names here. Narset takes over this list. Narset Parter reveals Mono Blue Uncommon Narset shows up in over 35,000 different decks out there, which is insane. Jace Wielder of Mysteries, the lab man Jace also shows up in 25,000. But then when we're looking at this list, there's a lot more monocolor and colored lists because they can just slot into more decks. So you've got stuff like Ugin the Ineffable showing up here. You've got stuff like Ugin the Spirit Dragon also showing up among this top 10. I feel like the nature of these types of things that we're seeing here in the terms of the uh, the raw data as opposed to percentage inclusion, we're getting a little bit of a different vibe. Yeah, it's a little bit different. And 
looking at them, you can, you know, probably guess why a lot of these are included. Things like Ugin the Ineffable is a way to get effectively draw in a deck that often doesn't have it. Ugin's pretty solid in a mono white deck or, or a red deck or a Boros deck. You can run it there and make those tokens that will generate you cards as well as having a passive ability, as well as being, again, a relatively cheap card because it was from War of the Spark where there was a gazillion Planeswalkers and it was only a rare. So there's, there's a logical reason why you see that card. Same with Ugin the Spirit Dragon. Being colorless, it can go anywhere, and it's removal on a stick. It's a way for you to deal with permanence that whatever your monocolor deck or something is that you couldn't otherwise deal with, Ugin can maybe solve that problem. I mean, Ugin's just a win condition. Let's let's yeah. be honest with ourselves. <laughs> you, you get rid of the permanence by p- player removal as well. So that's, that's how <laughs> yeah. Ugin works. Yeah. But yeah, the, the raw numbers list, absolutely. It, it's very, very different. You know, outside a few all-stars, I'm surprised that Elspeth Sun's champion wasn't on the total percentage or at least eligible mm-hmm. decks, but it is number six on the raw numbers. It's it's played in over 15,000 decks. I expect it to be a little bit higher in the other list, but still seeing it here, like that's one another one of those Ugin the Spirit Dragon type of cards where it just takes over a game if it's left unchecked right that's the kind of thing that we really if you want if you want to have planeswalkers shoot for something like elspeth that is one that i use in my thalese tokens deck because it makes tokens but it also makes bodies that protects itself it also can just be a wrath which is pretty good and it's got an ultimate that people are genuinely afraid of but that you don't need to necessarily get because the other abilities are providing you with enough value in the first place so it's definitely a different natured list but i do feel as though there is still sort of that ambivalence to an ultimate that effects that these planeswalkers have there are still things that just have like passive abilities that are going to provide you tons of value i look to something like the number eight on this list nissa who shakes the world who doubles your green mana output i don't care if she even has an ultimate i just want to double the green mana output mono green decks are going berserk for that kind of thing so we still do have that same ambivalence about ultimates going on in both lists well if you paid attention to 60 card formats ever since nissa who shakes the world came out um you would know that no planeswalker needs an ultimate when you are doing all the things that nissa who shakes the world does (laughs) um that card absolutely took over standard took over historic took over any format that she's really dared to stick her foot in um, besides commander but she's still showing up in very very strong numbers in a singleton format yeah so those were just some of the most popular planeswalkers but let's go a little bit more we're going to get a a well-rounded feel about how planeswalkers sort of interact in commanders uh dana tell us about some of the commanders that most commonly use a super friends theme that's a whole big type of archetype for a commander where you've got just a bunch of planeswalkers that's the deck strategy you've got so many of them that it's distracting your opponents pretty sure that we're familiar with a few of the most famous faces that helm super friends decks but what other ones are we seeing that play super friends a whole lot well you might as well mention the first one because it's the, the the name everyone throws out there and we've already mentioned it on the show as well which is atraxa praetor's voice um atraxa is head and shoulders above everyone else in terms of super friend commanders with just under 2,000 decks and that's more decks than the rest of the super friend commanders combined so that's the go-to. Um, number two, three, and four, you're looking at Cissé, Weatherlight Captain, Golos, Tireless Pilgrim, and Nicol Bolas, the Ravager. And like I said, those three don't even c- come close to adding up to Atraxas numbers. Yeah, and, and again, we're getting these numbers by using the formulas that we have on EDHREC that specifically filter out the Planeswalker sub-theme. Uh, when there are enough Planeswalkers, these register via EDHREC formulas that these, oh, this is a Super Friends dedicated deck. But some people may draw their line a little bit differently. This is what we're seeing here, though. Yeah, the five color is a really huge draw. Having access to as many Planeswalkers as you want seems to be a really, really important thing for commanders like these. Well, Atraxa, you just have to look at the card 
and you understand why Atrax would be such a popular Super Friends commander, being able to populate at the end of each turn, putting extra counters on every single Planeswalker, like that, that's just a, a terribly powerful ability. And then to say whether like Captain getting, you know, you can just tutor up any given Planeswalker you want, just pay, <laughs> pay the Wooberg um, and just find something in your library and just plop it out there. It's it's an extremely powerful ability. And then Golos Tireless Pilgrim, it's just Golos being Golos. <laughs> I, I, I don't really know what else to tell you when it comes to Golos because there isn't anything Golos can't do. Yeah, th that almost might be an accuracy by volume situation because there are so many Golos <laughs> decks out there that, yeah, it happens that almost 400-ish of them are, yeah, Planeswalker theme, sure. You can do everything else too. That's definitely one of those things to be conscious of. Dana, I have a question for you specifically about your Super Friends deck, which again is mono white, so maybe you have a limited pool here. But how many Planeswalkers are you actually running in your dedicated Super Friends deck? Um, I believe 15 last time I checked. So I had 15 different Planeswalkers in the 99 of that deck. And does that feel high or low to you? That's what I would have guessed most people were using. Now, now because it's Jeru, and when he comes into play, you can tutor up a Planeswalker, I perhaps don't need to worry about drawing them because I can just go get whichever one I want with Jeru. Um, but I, I think even if he didn't do that, there's just so many utility cards you need to make a Super Friends deck work that I... I don't know how I would find room to run 20 Planeswalkers. So that's kind of why I wanted to ask is to sort of suss out like how many Planeswalkers on average is a Planeswalker specific deck running? And the answer is that it, it's, it's a big gap. It's really, really wild because there are some commanders that go down to like 15 or 16, like the aforementioned Nicol Bolas deck. It's got like 15 or 16 Planeswalkers on average. Most likely it's a Nicol Bolas themed deck, but there are plenty of Nicol Bolas Planeswalkers and plenty of other Planeswalkers that might show up in those types of decks too, just as a result of it. But then there's also some commanders that go up to like 24. Ramos Dragon Engine, when looking through specifically the Super Friends lens, uses an average of 24 Planeswalkers. And an Atraxa Super Friends deck averages out to 20. So the numbers are really all over the place. The answer is very much that it depends which commander you're playing and what you feel most comfortable with. It's probably also worth noting that there's probably not 25 good mono white Planeswalkers Whereas um, Ramos Dragon Engine having access to everything probably has a much easier time finding good cards to put in that deck. It's not quite so easy in mono white. Yeah, I, I was about to say, like, you're, you're looking at very, very different things. Like, I don't <laughs> yes. think I can name 20 mono white planeswalkers, period. Like, I know their names. I know Elspeth has like 17 versions, <laughs> but like, that's that's about it. And they aren't all good. They're not yeah. all they're mostly, super splendid. They're mostly good enough for that particular deck, which is <laughs> should tell you how uh, slim the pickings get at times. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. But for a five-color deck, that's not a problem you'll have. So I think the colors, you're totally right to point out that's got something. And you mentioned your commander there can go and find Planeswalkers. If you've got a Planeswalker in the command zone, such as the Nicol Bolas situation, that also probably frees up a little bit uh, for you to have to pack the deck full of Planeswalkers. Something like Atraxa has to actually find them to play them and then to proliferate them. But if you've got more ease of access to them, then maybe you can afford to run fewer of them overall in your deck because one of them will be there in the command zone for you instead. That That, that is a really solid point, Joey. But I think what we want to do here is, since I am the the hair of the podcast officially, um, crown was given to me, but I don't want to put the crown on too, ah. too tightly because it'll, it'll mess up the hair. Um, but let's move on to Challenge of Stats because... <laughs> that is one of our favorite segments, and I'm driving the show now. Um, but we do, <laughs> we do want to give a very special shout out to the the sponsor of our challenge stats segment, um, altersleeves.com. If you head over to altersleeves.com slash EDH retcast, 
that's a referral code. You can buy those altar sleeves that you would be purchasing anyways. Um, you support the show in the process and all those sleeves. Maybe you want to get some cards altered. Maybe you want to have something very special done. Uh, you can do so over at altersleeves.com slash EDH retcast. Awesome sleeves that are just going to mix up the art a little bit. Maybe add a little flair, a little pizzazz. Altersleeves.com slash EDH retcast to do that. Matt, I, I you put me in such a weird spot here. I'm very happy about our sponsorship, but I'm very upset with you for stealing my title of, of the hair. How dare you? And I am going to I'm going to reassume control now <laughs> by moving to my challenge first. How about that? I, I'll allow it. it. I'll allow it. No, no, no. no. I, you don't allow. Mm -mm, mm -mm. We're having a spat now, people. This is fun. This is the ending of the EDA track cast. Anyway, let's get to <laughs> let's get to my challenge here. Mine comes from a listener. This is our listener submitted challenge this week. And y'all are not going to believe the username that this listener goes by. This is from Darth Vader. We've got to challenge the stats <laughs> from none other than Darth Vader. I am not kidding. That is what they asked to go by. Darth Vader comes in and I can't do a very good Darth Vader voice. So you're just going to have to imagine the mechanical breathing that they're doing here as they say this. They say, hi, love the show and the website. Extremely helpful. I've got to challenge Tasa Karlov, also known as Death Harmonicon, and the card Martyr's Bond, which only shows up in 8% of Tasa Karlov decks. Martyr's Bond is the six mana enchantment that is basically White's version of Grave Pact. Whenever Martyr's Bond or another non-lane permanent you control is put into a graveyard from the battlefield, each opponent sacrifices a permanent that shares a card type with it. Grave Pact is like a lot of dollars and Dictative Erebos is too. And those are amazing cards in Tesa. But Martyr's Bond has basically a similar effect for six mana that also doesn't just apply to your own creatures. Tesa will double death trigger on this if it is a creature. But if someone tries to get rid of your enchantments and stuff too, Martyr's Bond is really happy about that. This card is less than a dollar. It only shows up in 8% of Tesa Karlov decks. Darth Vader, thank you so much for giving us the force to challenge this stat. And I hope that your power with the dark side behind me will help me steal back the crown from Matt. Joey, I, I feel like those those force puns were a little forced. Dana, let's move to your challenge. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> so since we're talking planeswalkers here, uh, my challenge of stats is an artifact, Throne of Geth. Uh, it's in just over 1,600 decks. It's a two-man artifact that has very simple text on it. You can tap it to sacrifice an artifact and then proliferate. So it, it says an artifact. So worst case scenario, you spend two mana, tap it, sacrifice itself, and put an additional loyalty counter on every Planeswalker you control, put a plus one counter on each creature you control, put a minus one counter if there's already some on creatures your opponents control. Um, that's the worst case scenario, and if, if you happen to have treasures lying around or mana rocks you're not using, you can use it for multiple turns. But I've found playing a Super Friends deck, having the ability to change the math that people see on the field is really, mm -hmm. really powerful. Because people tend to look at your Planeswalkers and try to count how long they have until it ults for them to figure out a, a way to deal with it. And being able to spend just two mana to put an extra counter on that Planeswalker is plenty often enough to throw everyone's game off and get you to the point that you need to be at to really do something devious. So I think it should be in more than just 1600 decks. I think if you are playing a Super Friends deck, throwing a Geth is almost always going to be worth a slot. Sacrifice a treasure to get loyalty sounds like an amazing engine to yes, me. Yes, it does. That's, yeah, that, that's pretty brutal right there. That's pretty good. All right. Uh, let, let's see if I... <laughs> Matt, what is your challenge? <laughs> Oof. That was 
I know that was actually really bad, and I'm, I apologize. That was on dastardly. My family for that one. <laughs> I'm just going to move on to James Earl Jones for that. That was bad. That was I, bad. I'm going to move us on to my challenge this week. So my challenge this week is coming for the uh, Joey. You'll be proud of me. I'm doing a Golgari Commander, um, Lathril Blade of the Elves uh, is the. Uh, pre-con commander from Kaldheim that uh, had all sorts of elvish tribal synergies uh, in those Golgari colors. Uh, it's pretty powerful, and there's an ability that people seem to be playing around a lot. It's the tap and then tap 10 untapped elves that you control, so kind of 11 elves, really, when you think about it. But then each opponent loses 10 life, and you gain 10 life. That is an extremely powerful ability there. Um, but people are playing a card in there, and I think what they're trying to do is capitalize on that. And that card is Thousand Year Elixir. That's a three-mana artifact that says you may activate abilities of creatures uh, you control as though those creatures had haste, and then you can pay one and tap it to untap target creature. Now, the Pseudo Haste is nice, but I, I think in an Elves deck where you're having millions of mana anyways, like mana is not your problem. The first half of Thousand Year Elixir is not really the card you want to be doing. So if they're playing it for the second ability to untap a creature, you essentially have to tap 20 Elves to get at Lathril's ability twice. I think that's kind of a Christmas land type of scenario. So what if you do want to be activating Lathril multiple times per turn? I have a card that used to be expensive and got reprinted uh, in Commander Legends and is actually the same price as Thousand Year Elixir now. That card is Rings of Bright Hearth. So Rings of Bright Hearth is a three mana artifact that says whenever you activate an ability, if it isn't a mana ability, you may pay two mana. And if you do, copy that ability and you can choose new targets for the copy. So if you want to be copying all sorts of lateral activations, you don't have to tap 20 elves. You only need to do it once and just pay two extra mana and Rings of Bright Hearth is going to copy that and everybody will lose 20 life and you'll gain 20 as well. Um, it's a $5 card at CarnKingdom.com slash EDH rec. Uh, it got reprinted. It used to be, what was it, like $30, $40? Super expensive. So much more affordable now. So price is probably keeping this off of a lot of commanders page it's not on lathril's page at all and if people are adding in thousand year elixir to lathril decks like they seem to be doing i think rings of bright hearth is going to be much much more powerful and it's actually the same price now which isn't something i think we've ever been able to say i don't know if the inclusions of thousand year elixir are specifically just for the untap and reactivate ability it does sure. seem that it's there for the mana haste enabling maybe more than the rings but rings being budget is the thing that i'm going to take away from here because yes. that used to be 30 dollars, and that can show up in i mean we're talking about planeswalkers rings of bright hearth and planeswalker decks too is just like hey it's a little nutty yes and it, it, i mean any activated abilities as long as it's not a mana ability but yeah there there's a lot of value that you can be getting from rings of bright hearth now it's it's such a powerful card yeah, there's a lot to love about <laughs> Rings of Bright Hearth. And in fact, I feel like that can kind of move us back into our main topic. That's right, Matt, I'm in charge of the show now. Rings of Bright Hearth, I think, is a really, really great example of a card that some Planeswalker commanders could make great use of, especially now that it's not budget. So let's run through a couple of the Planeswalkers as commanders to, again, give us that whole well-roundedness feel of Planeswalker decks. Dana, what are the Planeswalker commanders that jump out most in your mind? The Planeswalker commander I think of when I think of Planeswalker commanders would be Lord Wind. Grace. Um, I remember the first time I saw it when it was first previewed and thought, oh, that looks pretty good. Um, and then seeing it in action as good as you thought it was going to be, it's that much better of a commander. It's just an absolute powerhouse. And if it wasn't for Korvald being Korvald, I, I, I 
think it would be probably the best option in Jund just in terms of absolute value. So that's the first one that pops into my mind. Yeah, I, I have to echo that feeling too. I know there's others out there. I know Aminatu, the Fate Shifter, was one that had a lot of people excited just because it was a very unique design space with kind of the the blinky shenanigans and setting up the top of your deck. Um, and Esther the Mast, actually. I, w- I had high hopes and I, I never got around to building it. It seems that... You know, a lot of folks kind of died off on Esther the Masked being that enchantress style type of deck, but then it um, it seems like that deck kind of got figured out and people kind of cooled on having all of the uh, the untap, untap, tapping, indestructible type of enchantment stuff going on in that Estrid deck. The Estrid is a very interesting story for sure because the fact that she can untap your enchanted permanence lent her, unfortunately, into a bit of a stacks approach where you can yeah. play stuff like stasis to prevent other people from untapping while you are totally able to do so. And so in a weird way, that Planeswalker deck did kind of devolve into not being a, a, an enchantress deck. And sorry, did I say Planeswalker deck? That enchantress deck turned out to not be an enchantress deck. Just slightly tuning up that deck turned it into something completely different. And unfortunately, that's sometimes the case for a couple of other Planeswalkers as commanders out there too. Teferi Temporal Archmage, the mono blue Planeswalker as commander Teferi, is very famously a combo deck as well. So there is sometimes that situation that goes on with these Planeswalkers as commanders where they can accidentally, oops, I broke something going on with them. Yeah, I, I mean, I wouldn't hate to see some of the, the commanders that are that have the partner ability. Um, Jessica Thrice Reborn and Tefeshzad mm-hmm. Duma Fools, both of them seem to have a lot of potential to, to pair up and not do anything overly oppressive or, or uh, unfun to play against. I mean, Tevish Zot can do some pretty powerful things, but also has to get ramped up. Um, so I am a little hopeful that maybe they get a little bit more play, um, just having partner and being able to to splash a color. That seems to be interesting enough, and, and we'll see how much um, people latch onto that too. What's interesting to me is that the monocolored Planeswalkers as commanders that we got from a long time ago, their data just has not held up very much. Deretti, Scraps Avant, is one of the only of those that has really maintained any degree of popularity and the other ones have just really fallen behind. So I think folks are really excited to see more from this design, but it also seems like people want more colors to be able to do stuff with because the monocoloredness of those commanders is just not helping them out in the numbers department. So I think there's there's two factors there, Joey. I think number one, they're monocolored. So like like you said, that does hold them back a little bit and it does put kind of a, a speed bump on their power. And number two, most of them, for the most part, were kind of brewed relatively conservatively in terms of how they were put together. Um, yes, Teferi, you know, with the advent of Chain Veil, can go infinite relatively easily. But uh, Freylace, Obnix, and Nahiri in particular weren't that strong compared to some of the things that came later. So they're, they're limited in a couple of different ways. And that doesn't scare everyone away, but it does scare enough people away. Well, and, and when you say these had to be monocolored just to, to limit their power cap. I think it was more to like keep them in check because we, we've we seen if you give a legendary creature more colors, that just opens up more options, um, more powerful options too. So like if we had Duretti Scraps Avant that w- had blue and red, um, as we saw a lot of just artifact-centered legendaries back then, um, I think the deck would have been extremely more powerful and, and probably maybe a little too much. So I, I think having these limited a little bit Yes, it stinks that like Obnix list of the Black Oath and and Nahiri Lithomancer did kind of get caught by the wayside with that, but I think it kind of kept a couple of them in check as opposed to having two colors on them. Well, to go the other way with that, Matt, the same thing is probably true. You know, how much stronger would Duretti be if he was multicolored? 
we wouldn't be saying the things about what Wingrace were saying if it was a mono black, mono red, or mono green commander either. I so, do agree. Yeah, with that. Access to those colors makes a massive difference. So here's the thing that's kind of interesting to me when it comes to the topic of planeswalkers as commanders is the cards that you can run in a deck where your commander is a planeswalker that would help enhance specifically the fact that it is a planeswalker. The rate of play that doubling season will show up in any of these green inclusive planeswalker as commander decks, for instance, or the card that Matt mentioned earlier rings of bright hearth that was priced out of most players hands for a really long time until it finally got reprinted is rings of bright hearth the kind of thing that might show up more now because it can double up some of those activations from your planeswalkers or is that maybe not the kind of thing that we'll see after all for example with the exception of the combo decks like estrid and mono blue teferi the chain veil isn't super popular in any of these other planeswalkers as commanders it shows up here and there but it's not a go-to for any one of them is that the kind of destiny that we'll see for rings of bright hearth as well now even that it's easier to access matt what do you think i mean i think if you're playing let, let's say 10 activated abilities and that includes plane planeswalkers that you might want to be copying rings of bright hearth is a card you absolutely want to be playing um like I, I mentioned it for if your commander has an activated ability you can be copying that and doing a lot more if you have planeswalkers in there if you're playing super friends deck rings of bright hearth is just chock full of value um i think two cards that just are absolutely powerful to begin with but if you had more planeswalkers as commanders uh nevin rolls disc and pernicious deed <laughs> those two cards are just board wipes on a stick they're just those uh what, what do you call them joy the snake bite cards um Rattlesnake, Rattlesnake cards? cards. There we go. Just like cards that sit on the battlefield. They discourage people from doing anything because it's going to bite them if they come too close. Um, those cards are very specifically do not destroy planeswalkers. And so just mm -hmm. being able to blow up the board and have your commander sitting around with you know anything else that you have going on that doesn't get destroyed, that's extremely powerful and a, an extremely big you know power swing when it comes to the momentum of the game. Um, you know, one that jumps out at me here a little bit is the Elder Spell from War of the Spark. Um, it's two mm -hmm. black mana for a sorcery, and you can destroy any number of target Planeswalker cards. Um, and then you can choose a Planeswalker you control and put two loyalty counters on it for each Planeswalker destroyed this way. I'm not running it right now in my Vela deck that has a handful of Tezzerits, um, in large part because I play you 2 every week and you don't run very many Planeswalkers. <laughs> so it, it was dead significantly, a significant amount of times in my hand. However, when I was playing like out in the wild and encountered Planeswalkers more frequently, um, that card just won me games in more mm. times than I can even count. If I had a Tezzeret in play and someone had a Planeswalker out, oftentimes there'd be like two or three in play for two mana to kill three Planeswalkers and then just alt my Tezzeret was amazing. So like that is is a card that not only works defensively to deal with other people's Planeswalkers, if you're playing Super Friends that can have access to black, it's a fantastic offensive weapon as well. The numbers on cards like that that can be Planeswalker specific are just so fascinating to me. There's stuff like Settle the Score, for example, a mono black four mana sorcery speed removal spell that also gives you two loyalty counters on any one of your Planeswalkers. That is not a card that sees significant play. Barely 1,200 decks, I think. Like, there are just some of these cards that do reference Planeswalkers that still just don't show up a whole lot for Planeswalkers as commanders. In the case of that one, Settle the Score, I have to imagine that it has something to do with the fact that you'd want more instant speed interaction in case someone tries to attack your planeswalker that in effect saves it loyalty counters so that might be more valuable but it just it's very very fascinating to, to me to see that these decks like in the example of lord Windgrace, it is more dedicated to it being a landfall deck than it is to the fact that there is a planeswalker in the command zone so it doesn't seem to deviate at all from that strategy to try and make extra stuff that would help supplant or help buff up the fact that it's 
commander is different than a creature. As far as settle the score goes, however, if I was playing like some kind of a mono black Liliana deck or something with, you know, eight or nine Lilianas in it, <laughs> I would absolutely run that that card. Uh, like I said, being able to change the math on your Planeswalker Ultimates in a way that people aren't ready for is really, really powerful. And, and I think this is maybe one of those cards that um, there's probably a finite amount of decks that are in a position to want it at all. Mono black Planeswalkers probably, or two color Planeswalkers or something, probably there's not a lot of those decks out there. But like, if you are in one, I think that would be a really good card. I would run it for sure. It, it strikes me as the kind of thing like, ooh, is this underplayed? Or is there a good reason that these cards aren't showing up? But like, there's a lot of stuff that these things can totally do. And also, if you're playing a Planeswalker deck, that has access to red or whatever use goad effects because goad is another amazing way of protecting your planeswalkers because creatures have to go anywhere else and that lets them just sit by racking up some more loyalty and getting to an ultimate i highly recommend goad if you've got a lot of them. i i do not recommend that because if you've watched <laughs> our streams at twitch.tv slash edh retcast um you'll know joey has used goad to make sure his uh Liliana Dreadhorde General does not get attacked, and that is a card you must attack the turn that it comes down. No, uh, you don't. You, you don't have to do we, that. You, you can. You can attack elsewhere. Look over there. It's fine. If, if listeners Go. and viewers of the stream could attack Liliana, I would encourage them to. That's how <laughs> bad that deck gets. So yes, go to oh, goat no. effects are extremely potent if you're playing Super Friends decks. I I will I will agree with you on that. Well, one one more card right. I will point out in terms of like changing the math that I that I don't know if it sees enough play either is Plain Wide Celebration um, <laughs> from War of the Spark as well. And you know maybe it's not obvious why it's so good at first because it is seven mana and seven mana cards should do something pretty phenomenal. Um, you choose four modes and you can choose the same mode more than once. So you can make a two-two citizen creature token that's all colors. You can return a permanent card from your graveyard to your hand. You can gain four life. Those are all I guess fine things. But you can proliferate. So that means for seven mana you can <laughs> proliferate four times. And if you're playing any kind of a super friends deck with access to green. That probably means you can just then ult every single Planeswalker you have out. Um, that's going to win you the game. Like, if this is a card that you draw and there's Planeswalkers on the battlefield in front of you, um, you're going to win. And, and I think that card should see way more play in decks that can run it and have, you know, some amount of Planeswalkers, whether it's 10, 12, 15, enough to call it a Super Friends deck. I think that card's a bomb. That one's pretty intense. I also got to give a shout here to Spark Double, which can enter as a copy of your Planeswalker Commander with an additional loyalty, and it will unlegend itself so that you can have both of them out. I mean, if your Planeswalker Commander is good enough to be in your command zone, it's probably good enough to have another one by its side. Yeah, definitely. I've never not seen Spark Double cast in a way that didn't make me go, oh, come on. <laughs> like, it, it always elicits that reaction. It's a really good card. Yeah, I, I every time that I see Spark Double, I'm just like, I... I am bewildered at myself for not playing it more my you know in my own decks because like if there's a card that you're putting in your deck chances are you just want another version of it or another copy of it and that is exactly what Spark Double does so it, Spark Double is just so versatile it's just it's crazy um if you're playing a planeswalker deck and you have blue um just probably find room for it <laughs> now there is also i feel we've got to shout out a psa here about stuff that you probably shouldn't pair with your planeswalker as commander or with your planeswalker centric deck there are some cards that can shut off combat in a certain way but matt tell us a little bit about your feelings on ghostly prison and propaganda 
Uh, well, those, um, they do work, actually. Yes, uh, I just checked my records, and uh, they still work, same <laughs> as Miri Weatherlight Duelist, um, preventing... I'm, I'm sorry, listeners, I, I am being facetious here. They do not work, actually, with Planeswalkers. So Ghostly Prison is great for saving your own bacon. Um, it does not save your Planeswalker friends. Uh, I'm sorry to be the bearer of bad news on this one. Now, the important thing, though, with those to note is... Um, you don't have to mention that until it's too late. When someone <laughs> plays ghostly prison propaganda and thinks their planeswalkers are safe, you just let them think that until you swing through and they say, well, did you pay your two? And I, you can say, no, I didn't. I feel like on one side of me, there's the nice salt of the earth, you know, down to earth kind of guy who wants to make sure that people are are all caught up and that everyone's having a good. And on the other side of me is Extus Auric Overlord, who's here to invade and just like cause all of the chaos over here. Is just like, ooh, I will be opportunist and I don't have to tell you that this card doesn't work the way it normally does within the rules. Like, come on, Dana. It's on the card. It's all. It's right there. Easy to read. <laughs> Reading the card explains the card, as they say. Well, I'm going to make sure that you explain the card for me when we play games how about well, that? and i will actually like throw an addendum out there to this as well there is a old black propaganda effect called Coskin falls that's an enchant world um, no creature can attack you unless its controller pays an additional two so it's very similar to propaganda um same thing there like that doesn't work either it protects you from creatures but doesn't save your planeswalkers so if if you are playing Coskin falls out of homelands same thing applies there And Dana with the most Dana of cards to bring up in every single moment. The Homelands, Koskin Falls. Right? This guy. But yeah, no, if you are trying to hold off people from attacking your stuff, you'll need to opt for There are a few other ones. I think Sphere of Safety, for example, does specifically reference Planeswalkers as well, but most of them just don't. So either goading people, like I said earlier, Matt, I'm not sorry about it. That is a great way to make sure that folks can't hit your Planeswalkers, or you can shut down combat completely with effects like Peacekeeper, which is probably very expensive, but it does stop people from attacking your Planeswalkers, which is really their biggest weakness. I mean, Planeswalkers being attacked, especially early, that is is the place in the game where the planeswalkers can stumble most sometimes they're pretty expensive they're tough to get down and when they're only down one at a time they can be pretty attackable but it's not always the case that you're able to keep up with them and sometimes you need a little bit of extra help to be able to keep up with them so dana i feel like this is also something that we want to pass it back to you to kind of round out the show when we're exploring all of these different facets about planeswalkers how the heck do we deal with them when they're across the field from us what are some weaknesses that you spot for planeswalkers and things that really wreck your day when you've got a whole bunch of them in play even just the one-offs that you play in your deck or when you're piloting a super friends deck what gets on your nerves there. Uh, you definitely have to watch for flyers. That makes a huge difference because that can make those those Elspeth Sons Champion soldier tokens that you make that make you feel so safe don't do any good <laughs> if the person has a couple of one or one, one or two, two flyers that can just go over the top. Um, so that's one thing I kind of keep track of in my decks if I'm playing Planeswalkers is how easy it is to protect those Planeswalkers. And, you know, hey, if my deck has a bunch of flyers, that job gets much easier than it might be in a deck that doesn't really have any flying defenders at all. And those Planeswalkers are going to be much more vulnerable. And I have to oftentimes just don't run them then in that case because it becomes so difficult to keep them safe. Well, and there's a couple options out there, too, that just take care of Planeswalkers altogether. Um, I know Thief of Blood was a card that people were very excited to play. And, and Aether Snap, those both are cards that um, when they resolve, they essentially take all the counters off everything out there. Um, it does on both of them, it says from all permanents. Um, but Planeswalkers are permanents. So when Thief of Blood comes out, you know, you steal all the counters from all those Planeswalkers out there. So if your buddy does have, you know, all sorts of 
defenses up there for their five, six planeswalkers. Um, you're going to have a pretty big Thief of Blood out there, or Aether Snap is just going to do the same thing. It's just a spell that just takes all the counters off of those planeswalkers. Um, it's no Elder spell, but it is pretty powerful. Well, we've also gotten some other tools over the years. Like I remember when I first started playing back around Return to Ravnica. Um, you know, yes, there was cards like Beast Within that could hit any target. Um, mm -hmm. You know, Vindicate does as well. So those would also hit Planeswalkers despite not really being designed with that in mind. It just hits any target, so you were fine there. But there weren't a lot of, like, newer spells that were available that allowed you to target Planeswalkers just, like, offensively. Um, but over the years, we started to get a few. You know, Hero's Downfall and Theros Block, a Dread Boar was in Return to Ravnica. So since then, it seems like every every set, we usually have at least one spell that lets you interact with Planeswalkers in a defensive way. But that wasn't always the case. The, you know, I, I remember once upon a time putting Pithing Needles into decks because it was a way <laughs> to, like, well, it, it's always a semi-useful card. And if someone has a Planeswalker, I can turn it off if I can't swing through. Um, I don't think it's quite like that today. There's enough other options, but once upon a time, that was not the case. Yeah. So the the generous gift and the beast within stuff that you bring up there, that feels to me like especially one of the cruxes that I feel is most important is that that is one of the reasons why it's so important to have a diversity of removal. Like not everyone's going to be playing a card like Aether Snap. It's pretty narrow in some cases. It might just be a dead card in your hand for some games. So it feels maybe sometimes awkward to devote a card slot to that. I mean, heck, there are still folks out there who do not play Graveyard Hate and Graveyard is Graveyard Manipulation is way more popular than Planeswalkers showing up in decks. But stuff like Beast Within and Generous Gift being able to hit a rogue planes walker in addition to a problematic enchantment or a problematic artifact or destroying a creature that feels like just such a huge key is like priming your removal to be able to take care of that in some way yeah the quality of life in that regard has definitely gotten better um but but i do think in, in the world we live in um in edh these days in some of the super strong planeswalkers we looked at, I think that is something you do need to bear in mind for your deck. You need to take a look at it and look like, okay, if I'm playing a Super Friends deck or or even a deck with just a few good planeswalkers, do I have ways I can get through? Because you don't always, and, and, and if you don't, you probably need to find some way to fix that. Well, and looking at how your deck loses mm -hmm. often gives you some insight on how to sculpt your removal. Uh, if Ashok mm. Dream Render is a card that you just absolutely cannot be because you're Joey as a Necromancer myself, Schultz, and you play a lot of mm -hmm. graveyard decks, having some sort of removal, just maybe two or three cards that also say, you know, creature or planeswalker as part of the removal package, that's going to help you not lose at least so many more games out there because you know there's a card type out there that you just really struggle with. Um, Elspeth Sun's Champion is a card that pretty much any of my decks struggle with because it's a board wipe on a stick. Uh, <laughs> so having something that can address Planeswalkers, even if it's just a few cards in, every, in any given deck, is going to be immensely valuable because a lot of times, if left unchecked, either Planeswalkers are going to take over the game or just some Planeswalkers I just cannot beat. And especially, it's not just a choosing the right card situation, although those were great pieces of advice. I, I, I don't want to discount that. I just also, I'm kind of trying to add on to it here by also pointing out that like the main clunky part of a Planeswalker contained deck is when they're trying to deploy them, especially mm -hmm. if they've only got one out. Attack quickly and <laughs> immediately, just as soon as you can. Don't give them a chance to breathe because Planeswalker decks will prove to you. Like if someone's putting a Planeswalker into their deck, it's because they think that they can get that ultimate. 
And that is something that you should not allow them to get the chance, if at all possible. So there is that clunky space of time when they are trying to deploy the Planeswalker, and next turn, they'll hit that plane-wide celebration. So being aggressive towards whatever that player is doing early, even if it's before they've gotten the Planeswalkers out, is probably going to end up being one of the keys to victory there, because you just can't take the the pressure off. You can't let up on that gas, because they will hurt you if they get the chance to spiral into that late game. Yeah, uh, the one hallmark of the the Planeswalker decks and the Super Friends is they're going to get more value out of any given card than you are. Uh, They're going to snowball out of control, so making sure they don't start rolling downhill is absolutely paramount to beating any Super Friends deck. But then again, there is one more piece of quote, Planeswalker hate that we could mention here too. And I wish it wasn't such an expensive card, but you know, it's really hard for even Dak Faden, the greatest thief in the multiverse to steal an immortal sun, which stops Planeswalker activations in addition to giving you a bunch of good stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's just a good card. Like that, that's an example of a situation where you don't care if there's Planeswalkers out, that card generates so much value that that's just a bonus on it. Shutting off everyone's Planeswalkers something that powerful is just optional in the immortal sun that's how how strong that card is i would argue yeah a a percentage of people um are only playing it because it shuts off planeswalkers that's just such a powerhouse of a card to begin with yeah wizards um reprint reprint please question please please i would enjoy like 50 (laughs) copies but but don't put that one into your Planeswalker decks. Dana, I know that Mono White is hard up on card draw, but don't play the Immortal Sun. Do not do to, that. To try and get card draw for your Mono White deck. <laughs> it might not work for you. Uh, Immortal Sun in your Planeswalker deck is kind of like Farseek in your Mono Green deck. Just don't <laughs> <Yes>. do it. <laughs> well, yeah, they're just, uh, I think that's another really good lesson for us to round off with is that it's the type of thing that you can sculpt a little bit of the early aggressive strategy around, but also that you can sculpt your removal around because that's what people who play Planeswalkers are doing too. Matt, like you mentioned with the Nevinarol's Disc and the Pernicious Deed earlier, those are things that folks who are using Planeswalkers as commanders or in their decks, they're using those specifically because they don't hit Planeswalkers. So maybe that's something that you can do with your own removal suite is to make sure that there's enough diversity there so that they can address a planeswalker if you happen to run into them and of course you can do a whole bunch of other things like attacking the planeswalkers too i mean matt loves to attack i'm sure that that's also just a really good solid solution i love me the combat step you you are correct yes but matt the the combat step i'll I'll let you have the crown for that one but you're not having the crown for the hair yes we we will have mono a mono combat when it comes to the the best hair on the show it's already been given to me by the listeners they have spoken um so we'll nope. we'll see what they say in the comments for this listener week's episode. has spoken <laughs> listener has spoken but with the the rest of the listeners still need to sound off so listeners we're gonna we're, we're gonna have like a comment war or something about this about the hair of the podcast we are we're excited to see where folks fall um, but we'd also like to hear your thoughts about Planeswalkers as well. How do you feel about the ones that we've got now, how they show up? Are you playing a bunch of them in your decks or is it also a kind of thing where you're a bit more like Matt and me, where you're not playing a whole bunch of them at all? How are you feeling about Planeswalkers as commanders? What are you doing extra tips that you've got to get rid of them? How are we going to uh, ruin Dana's day when he's playing his mono white super friends deck? That kind of thing. We'd really love to hear from you about all of those tips. Isn't that right, Dana? Um, hey, it, it worked last week. I managed to to pull off a win with, with <laughs> Sherry. So sometimes... That's true. Okay, listeners, we need we need your tips now, too. Definitely make sure that you comment below. All right, fellas, <laughs> let's call this episode to a close. This is a whole bunch of fun, but if our listeners want to get in touch with us to find out even more, where is it that they can get in touch with us? Matt? So you can find me on the Twitters, at Mathemus55. That's M-A-T-H-I-M-U-S-5-5, posting all the best hair picks on the, the, the ah! podcast. Um, and don't forget, Wednesday evenings, twitch.tv slash EDHRETCAST. We are streaming games all the time. Um, our guests are pretty dang great, so make sure you tune in um, for all the anti-pop to hate 
<laughs> wow, that's a deep cut. And a deep cut. You can find me on Twitter at Dana Roach. You can hear me on my other podcast, CMDR Central, and I'm writing articles for EDH Rec and for Commander's Herald. You can also find all of us together at patreon.com slash EDHRECcast. And I'm Joey Schultz. You can find me at Joseph M. Schultz on Twitter, and you can find the cast at EDHRECcast on both Facebook and on Twitter. Plus, if you want to get in touch with us via email, you can contact us at EDHRECcast at gmail.com. Our thanks go out once again to the whole team at the Command Zone, who handle all of the post-production work on the podcast, making it look as awesome as it does. And they go out to our sponsors, TCG Player and CardKingdom.com and Altersleeves.com. You can find them using the price info links on EDHREC or by visiting CardKingdom.com slash EDHREC or Altersleeves.com slash EDHREC. And that shows your support for the show. Listeners, we'll be back at you next week with more data and insights. But until then, remember EDH, wreck your deck before you wreck your deck. (laughs) 